Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is Liz Lazara. She's a freelance writer and a mental health activist. How's it going, Liz? Going great. How are you? I am good. Are you currently podcasting, too? I am not. I'm I'm guesting on <laughs> a couple different podcasts all at once right now. Yours, um, Dave Kalos, and I'm going to be on uh, an episode of uh, the Bitch Media podcast coming right. up sometime in the future, but not one of my own now. Gotcha. Uh, Dave is an awesome guy, by the way. Yes, he is. I love Dave. <laughs> Have you ever hung out with him in person? No, although since I've moved to Boston, I kind of threw it out there that if he ever decides to come inland, that we should. <laughs> you should. He's he's a blast. Um, so I guess the big topic and mental health has been a long running topic on this show because I am both bipolar and ADHD and I have followed a lot of your writing because you have similar issues. Yes, I do. <laughs> so what? Uh, let's first talk about what you uh, have been diagnosed with and when you were diagnosed. Um, okay, so in 2012, fall of 2012, when I started going to therapy on a regular basis, they diagnosed me in therapy with depression, anxiety, and PTSD. And then I started going to a psychiatrist the summer after that, and they treated me for those three. And then the diagnosis of bipolar 2 came probably in the spring of 2014, and then we tacked on adult ADHD just a couple months ago. So, so this is all pretty new to you. Yes, just within the past couple of years. And if I can ask, how old are you right now? 27. Okay. Yeah, I didn't get diagnosed until I was in my mid-20s. And I think that that's pretty common. It, it is. And it makes me look back at my high school and college years and think things could have been really different if I'd had any idea why things were happening. Mm. Oh, yeah. Like, I look back and think oh, that was quite clearly a depressive episode or a manic episode, or that's why I couldn't focus on that or so many other things that I didn't really have explanations for that now I can think, oh, that's very clearly a symptom of this condition that I have. Yeah, well, and depression, anxiety, all of those can both be related to not only bipolar, but ADHD as well. Right. Common and side effects. Yes, and bipolar and ADHD often go hand in hand. I just learned that. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, if you have bipolar, you have a higher, I wouldn't say risk, but I guess a higher probability of getting ADHD or having ADHD concurrently, well, adult ADHD, that is. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that would be why I have both. Exactly. It's a predisposition. So... With these fairly recent diagnoses, how how did that affect your life? Well, um, <laughs> at first, before I really kind of took a deep dive into therapy, and especially before I started going down the chemistry set that is uh, medication, um, there were a lot of panic attacks, a lot of interruptions in my sleep schedule. It's really hard to focus on work. At the time, I was uh, doing customer service for Medicare appeals over the phone. So that's an incredibly stressful and emotionally difficult environment to work in when you're telling the elderly and their family that, no, you don't qualify for hospice or home health care or stay in a skilled nursing facility. And people cry and curse you out and all of that stuff. And it really took a toll on me. Um, and so I transferred to a different department where I was mostly doing paperwork and, and didn't have to deal with that anymore just so that I could try to get, you know, a mental break. But the monotony of 
processing workman's comp appeals, which is what I was doing in the, in the second job, um, that really triggered a lot of the ADHD symptoms, having trouble focusing on a repetitive task over and over and over. And my job performance just plummeted. Um, I ended up having to go on first short-term disability so that we could try to get my medications under control because my bipolar diagnosis had just kind of come down the tubes and we didn't know, you know, what kind of uh, atypical antipsychotic to put me on um, since that's usually the treatment. Um, It sounds much scarier than it is. It's just the classification of medication. Um, uh, They're also called mood stabilizers. So that's a little less uh, threatening sounding. Um, So for about five months, I was out of work on disability. And then I separated from my husband, moved back to New Hampshire and had to go back to work because I couldn't stay on my life insurance policy through my job in New York um, since I wasn't there. <laughs> yeah. So that was a really difficult transition. Um, I was waitressing again. Um, it helped to be moving around and, and doing things, doing a lot of varying things that helped with the ADHD and kind of um, getting me out of the house helped with the depression uh, didn't help my anxiety, but you know, it's a balancing act. <laughs> right. Um, and then I ended up moving to Boston to pursue a bartending job because the waitressing job wasn't making me enough money, which, you know, anxiety straight through the roof. Sure. But it money was, is the worst for anxiety. It really is. <laughs> it's such a trigger. Um, but it was a really busy bar in the financial district. So all these people, very important, uh, meetings, drinking lunches, that sort of thing. Not a lot of room for error and a lot of craft cocktails with, you know, like spiced agave and like seven different kinds of hops or bitters or whatever, um, that I had to memorize almost immediately. And, that kind of broke me in a way. Um, I went into work and I was supposed to be working a night shift and had spent most of the day just scribbling down the recipes over and over and over and over trying to memorize them for my shift and uh, ended up just kind of having this horrible painted into a corner feeling of uh, suicidal ideation and just knowing that I couldn't go to work, but not knowing how to get out of it. And luckily, uh, my my partner works right around the corner from where I worked. And he knew that I was really struggling and kind of met me on the corner. And I ended up just breaking down crying and uh, later... We went to the hospital. I spent three days in the psych ward to get myself kind of under control. And ever Volunt- since... Voluntarily or was that mandated? Um, I expected that that's what would happen. But under Massachusetts state law, if you come in and... and say the word suicide? Yes. If they, if they deem that you're a risk of hurting yourself or anybody else, it's yeah. a mandatory three days. Same here, yep. So I did my three days um, and I I actually felt better after those three days and felt like being home would be better for me than being in there um, where you get like an hour outside and have no connection to the outside world, no cell phones, no computers, no nothing. Um, so I came back home. I gave myself some downtime just to kind of recuperate and take it easy. And then I decided, well, I mean, this isn't, this clearly isn't working for me. I'm not doing a very good job of being a bartender. Um, And 
what I really want to do is be home and write and really put my energy into spreading the word about what mental illness is, how mental health can be achieved and how you can live with these things that can be so debilitating sometimes or that can seem really scary if you've just been diagnosed or if you have a family member or a friend who's been diagnosed and you don't know what to do. Um, I really wanted to commit myself to that. So that's kind of what I've been doing ever since for about a month now. Do you think, okay, so when I was diagnosed, it was, to me, it was a huge relief. I was like, finally, I have an explanation and can do something about it. But then mm-hmm. every time I talk to people about it, everyone would be like, oh, you're so brave for talking about this. <laughs> and to me, it was like, why isn't, why wouldn't you talk about it? Exactly. Um, so, well, do you find that, are you timid about talking about your own Ill- illnesses? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> um I mean, if I'm first being introduced to somebody, I'm not going to go, hi, I'm Liz, and I have uh, bipolar and generalized anxiety and PTSD and yada, yada. Um, here's my medications. But um, on social media, I'm very active, very vocal. Um, I write about it all the time, as much as I possibly can. Uh, whenever I find a new angle, I talk about it with friends, with family, um, I'm lucky I have very a very supportive partner, very supportive roommates who uh, have either been through similar circumstances themselves or just are of the right mindset to be understanding. So it's it just seems to me that if there's something like mental illness that has such stigma and misinformation attached to it, the only real way that you can combat that is to share your truth and to be as open and honest as you possibly can. So I try to do that. I'm just naturally an open person. Um, So it, it just seems to kind of flow with my personality and also just the way that I think that um, advocacy should work um, so no, it's, it's not, it's not difficult <laughs> for me to talk about it. Um, pretty much as soon as you know me, once we get comfortable, I'll, I'll share that. <laughs> or if you've met me or, or have seen anything that I've done online or otherwise, you'll know very quickly. Have you ever run into, okay, so it's accepted that there is a stigma around mental health and especially the words mental illness. Um, I, th- I think that probably goes back to like the era when women were sent to institutions to have, uh, what's it called? When they drill into your brain, frontal lobotomies, basically yes. <laughs> because they seemed sad. Yep. Um, so I think, I think there's some of that left over, but personally, I've never run into any problem with being open about it. Everyone's very congratulatory about my, my braveness or whatever. Um, have you personally experienced, uh, blockades or, or the stigma itself? In certain ways. Yes. Um, I participate in a lot of kind of hashtag conversations on Twitter. Um, especially I'm not ashamed, which, uh, shares, allows people to share their stories of, what mental illness is like for them and to show that there isn't a stigma that you don't have to be ashamed of whatever diagnosis you carry. But um, I ran into a few people who were insistent upon saying that uh, mental illness wasn't real, um, that it was just kind of a way for you to grow as a human being. Um I did actually see one of these conversations between you and someone else on Twitter. Yeah, I I made it public just for that reason so that people could understand that, yes, this is out there. And it's and it's awful um, to be told that what you're going through is not real. Yeah, that it's (laughs) not real, that it's not an actual illness like it's it'd be like saying, um, and this metaphor is out there everywhere, but it's it's worth repeating 
that if you had diabetes and and took insulin, that somebody said, oh, you shouldn't be taking insulin. In fact, you don't have diabetes at all. You have this emotional issue that's causing your blood sugar to be out of whack. And then you're like, um, well, actually, if I don't do what my uh, doctor who went through how many years of medical school tells me, I could die. And in some cases with depression, anxiety, bipolar, any number of things, the threat of of death, especially by, by suicide or by rash action, it is real. It happens. Um, so I take it as seriously as that. And it to me, it is as offensive as that when for somebody to say that um, the things that I have been diagnosed with are not real or are not serious or um, that they can just kind of be muscled through um, in sort of the same way, like like when you get runner's fatigue or something like that, yeah. like just keep pushing and you'll get through it. It's like, yeah, with depression, anxiety and all of that, like every day is a push. <laughs> like you, you need to know that first and foremost. And um, medication... And therapy, um, for me at least, not everybody needs one or both of those things. Um, they just provide you with more momentum to push. Um, with uh, They lighten the load. They make it easier for you to function, quote unquote, normally or more normally than you would. Uh, they make you more of yourself, or at least that's been my yeah. um, experience. Mine as well. Um you know, people always talk, I don't want to start medication because I feel like I'll be a different person. But mm. then you realize that maybe you don't want to be the person who was sitting in a chair staring at a wall thinking about killing himself. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's not well, that's and, not you or probably not the version of you that you would like to be. Right. And I think that a depression especially gets a lot of, of the reaction, you know, just cheer up. You yeah. just buck up, you'll be fine. <laughs> and uh, and people who haven't experienced clinical depression think of depression as just a bad mood, but they don't realize yes. you can't think yourself out of that. And no. Depression has run in my family. Uh, my grandmother, who who was like, uh, grew up in the Dust Bowl in the Great Depression. and <laughs> uh, Ironically. Had like seven stillborn kids and just became Oof. a very depressed person. And she was sweet, she was kind, mm -hmm. but people always just assumed that she could, you know, pull herself up by her bootstraps and be fine. And exactly. that's kind of, I, I went through that. With, I mean, I had my depressive ep episodes combined with manic episodes. I, they actually changed my diagnosis. I am now uh, general cycling mood disorder. It's I not, have not heard of that one. Basically, like my cycles come in shorter bursts. And not fast enough to be rapid cycling bipolar, but it was basically oh. like I didn't fit a given diagnosis. So they're like, you're clearly cycling, mm -hmm. but we don't have a a name for this. So I think he might have made something up right there in the <laughs> but, um, But still, like, Lamictal has kept me stable for over a decade now, which I've has been that. very nice. I've, tr I've pretty much tried everything, but I've tried that. <laughs> well, and they were trying all these different very um uh specific trying to treat each of the maladies individually mm. uh so you know they have me on antidepressants and on uh mood stabilizers and on anti-anxiety and ultimately i got fed up with taking nine ten different medications at once and right. it turned out lamictal just kind of covered all the bases for me once once my primary issue was taken care of all the related disorders were kind of cured not cured right <laughs> <laughs> muted perhaps exactly but, so do you find yourself um impulsive it seems to me based on what i've read uh that you've written that you still despite um any instability you consider things like job changes and and separations do you do you find that you make 
choices that you're not sure about, but go ahead with them anyway in kind of a gambling perspective? Or are you more thoughtful about things? As I get more used to this diagnosis and am more familiar with how it manifests in my body and in my mind, I become more thoughtful um, and I'm able to kind of curb decisions that I know would be self-destructive. Um, like if I get a manic impulse, um, it kind of manifests in something like, well, I'll give myself a haircut, which I actually know how to do. So it's not like my hair is a mess right now. It's, it, I just needed a haircut. I don't really have a ton of money right now. So I just cut my own hair. Um, or uh, dyeing it, for instance, um, or I don't know, um, deciding to uh, read a different sort of book than I normally would or to um, sign up for some sort of um, new social network platform that I've wanted to so try. not major life decisions. No, not anymore. It used to be that I couldn't distinguish between what was a manic impulse and what was a conscious, thoughtful thought, for lack of a better word. Um, and the decisions that I would make would be really spur of the moment a lot bigger and kind of based on this idea of, of chasing a high. Yeah. And I can still feel that impulse of, of wanting to like ride a roller coaster, but I know that it's not good for me short term or long term. So I can see those, those things kind of coming up on the horizon and can label them for what they are and then, you know, kind of do battle with them as I as I have to or as best fits the situation. But the major life decisions that I've made lately, I guess the biggest one was was quitting my job, but that that was more of a of a case of knowing that I was not going to be in a position where I could work 40 hours a week in a busy bar and Well, it be, seems like a practical decision. Right, exactly. And and be on top of a very complicated menu um without putting myself back in the hospital. So, in spite of the fact that it put me in a really big financial bind um and has kind of resulted in a lot more complications. They're more manageable complications. And my day-to-day -day is far more peaceful, less stressful. I'm able to take care of myself better. I'm able to devote my time to things that I really do care about and that I feel make a difference, um, if not to other people, then at least to me. So um, that's... That's been the last big life decision I've made, but it it felt more measured, and um, that was a lot of what I spent my time thinking about when I was in the hospital was, what do I do when I get out? So at the end of three days, I was like, well, I, I pretty much know that uh, I'm not going to be bartending anymore, and, and whatever comes after that is, is just going to have to come after that. One step at a time, one day at a time. Nice. I uh, I haven't made, I haven't had a, a manic episode for a long, long time, but I still make decisions like, <laughs> like I'm manic. I can't, I don't, the weirdest thing is, in retrospect, I can always tell when I was manic, but I can never mm. tell at the time. I can never distinguish. Yeah, that's that's what I've gotten better at, at noticing is um, what it feels like for me to be manic. Um, and it's, it's obviously different for everybody, but for me, it, it feels like, um, kind of the edges of reality get blurred 
Um, you get feels, delusions of grandeur. Yeah, yeah kind of like living <laughs> in a dream where nothing really has any consequences and you can just kind of do everything that you want to do and be everything that you want to be. And just this idea of chasing excitement, but not really with any kind of end game in mind, just kind of following a thrill to follow a thrill. In the here and now, yeah. Exactly. So when I feel myself kind of steering toward that mindset, that's when I start to kind of pull back or be really watchful over my movements and kind of um, be my own security guard in a way because I feel like a lot of people understand um, the dangers of depression, but the dangers of mania can be just as as severe. <laughs> and external. <laughs> Like exactly. you can hurt more people around you with mania than depression. Yeah, you you can lose all your money if <laughs> you're into gambling um, or online shopping. Yes, or that um, <laughs> making impulsive purchases. At- Amazon became a thing right after or right before <laughs> no. I was diagnosed, and I yeah I I went after my diagnosis. I realized I now have like a ten thousand dollar credit card bill and. Right. Yeah, things got ugly for a little while, but Yep, that's why I have a mint account now that says like no, you <laughs> you've spent <laughs> you've spent what you're going to spend this month. That's smart. <laughs> and like it has a little bar that kind of creeps up on the line that's like no, no, this is where you stop. I should do that. Even even not manic, I'm really bad with money management. Yeah, it's it's really helpful uh, for me just to kind of have everything all in one spot, like my student loans, my credit card, my yeah. checking account, and just every single expense that I have just all outlined for me. Um, and since then, I've been much better. Um, but another thing that people don't really know about mania is um, you can, it comes with kind of like this sexual liberation where you can become like, sexually manic and go out and just sleep with a lot of different people, even if that's not your, your thing normally. MO. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And you can, you can end up um, causing a lot of emotional damage to yourself to, if you have a a partner or um, even the the other people that you're, that you're sleeping with. Um, Mania and making impulsive decisions and and kind of having recklessness and and the irritability that comes with being manic that that hits me a lot and I find myself having to make a lot of apologies um, and saying like I'm so sorry it's, I'm just feeling manic and irritable and you know just kind of leave me alone for a little bit it'll pass <laughs> um, but. I've uh, I've practiced a lot of awareness over the past couple of years and um, gotten into uh, Buddhism and, and mindfulness and meditation and uh, trying to be more in touch with how my body feels, how my mind feels. And I've found that that's been very helpful in kind of keeping me on the level or bringing me back to it. I had always avoided meditation just because it seemed like a lot of work. Um, but then when they cut my ADHD meds and I was left with no choices, I Mm. started exercising and meditating after a while. Like it took me a while of just being frustrated before I just broke and had to figure this out for myself. Um, but yeah, intense exercise and meditation have both proven to be quite effective in short term. Like it doesn't last, but right. It, it lasts while you're doing it or maybe a little bit after it is a lot of work, but it's worth it, though. I guess um, it's more of a time investment than, like, work. You just have to be able to say, all right, this half hour is dedicated right. to, you know, getting back on track. But, exactly. That's what I've um, I've used yoga for that purpose. I, hey, can't, I just started yoga, and I'm finding that forest yoga has been amazing for my brain. It's so wonderful because traditional meditation where you, you just sit and and sit um, is really difficult for me uh, with ADHD because my mind is constantly moving. But with yoga, where you're constantly 
thinking about what your body is doing yeah. and focusing try- on and breath while while yes. <laughs> straining into plank exactly. positions and, yeah well you focus on your breath and you focus on your pose and then there's not really any room for my brain in yep. there so it just leaves me with this very quiet um peaceful feeling afterward and then hey i exercised like bonus points right right no it's been great for me because like for two hours after a good like hour and 15 minute yoga class Mm -hmm. my brain is it's quiet but ideas come and i'm able to plan things out and i'm able to start actually tackling things and it it, yeah good two hours it's great Mm -hmm. and then i have lost 20 pounds since i started doing this so yeah Exactly. It gets you nice and fit faster than you would think. And you don't have to do like the crazy pie or like hot yoga or any of that. Just like regular traditional yoga will do wonders for your fitness level. And it's it's really great for your mind. I mean, even if you don't have any sort of mental illness at all, it's a great de-stressor. So did you see uh, the Kurt Cobain documentary Montage of Heck? I did not. I recommend it. You you would you'll understand why when you see it. Okay. Um, there's another one about a guy, and I've totally forgotten the name of the film, but it was the T-shirt that Kurt Cobain was wearing in multiple major moments uh, was related to this guy who only ever put out like cassette demos, but mm-hmm. he was bipolar to an extreme and only created music in his like manic modes. But it was kind of brilliant music. I should, I'll see if I can dig that one up. But I have one last question before we go on to the top three picks. Sure. You talked about memorizing drink recipes. <laughs> yes. Did the scribbling repeatedly, did that repetition help your memorization ability? No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with stuff like that, I have to just do it yes. over and over. Um, (laughs) Me too. That's the only way I've ever been able to learn is just dig in and do it. I can't watch videos. I can't read books. Yeah, exactly. I just have to do it. And and some of them just wouldn't get ordered. So they're like, oh, I don't want to see your cheat sheet. And I'm like, but I've only made one of these ever (laughs) and I'm not going to remember it. Like I I literally wrote 35 pages worth of maybe 11 drink recipes just over and over and over trying to remember them, but it was cramming. It wasn't, Yeah, it didn't last. My memory doesn't Um, work like that. Yeah. It needs, it needs to be muscle memory for me for things like that. Okay. That's comforting because I feel like we have many of the same uh, mental impulses. And I I was curious if you're actually able to memorize things by writing them down. No, not in the slightest. That's comforting. Yes. Um, I, that was why I was bad at school. <laughs> I could, I, I maintained a B average in school because I was really good at inferring things and I could read a mm. question on a test and figure out the answer right there without having any prior knowledge. I never, ever did homework. I couldn't. Yeah. I was always really good at, um, kind of the, the liberal arts stuff and anything like geometry killed me memorizing Calc two killed me oh yeah calculus no i like there's no way that i could have survived that class without uh my good friend krista thank you krista <laughs> for helping my college transcripts um but memorizing all of the the formulas and and that um like algebra i could do that was fine because it's just like step after step after step and you can just like play with it until you get it right right but um anything like trying to figure out the volume of a sphere with a cone right where you actually have to know the formula in order to do it you can't just piece it together and never once have i had to do that in my actual life so (laughs) i i think that it was it was bs (laughs) <laughs> just suckered me into taking geometry just because I have found geometry useful to play devil's advocate. I, I have and multiple times and been able to piece together enough of the, in the same way that I passed the tests. Mm-hmm. I think it's chemistry that was hardest for me, but then chemistry became really important once I get into cooking. 
Mm-hmm. Now I'm having to go back and try to reteach myself basic chemistry p- principles, <laughs> molecular structures and breakdown. And anyway, <laughs> okay. So that brings us to the top three picks. Okay. So this goes round robin back and forth one at a time. Mm-hmm. And you get to go first. They're in no particular order. Okay. Um, so since I do freelance write, and that involves a lot of coming up with ideas and sending out pitches to a lot of different places, and if you do that via email, your inbox becomes a mess, there is a very wonderful app called Story Tracker, um, which you put all of your ideas into it. And all of your quote-unquote markets, so for me that would be websites or print um, publications, you can track where you've sent it, what they said, and how long on average they are supposed to wait before they get back to you. So you always know what is going on with the things that you're writing, and it has saved my organizational system so and a, it's, a CRM it's, for writers. Yes, it's it's beautiful, um, and it even has statistics like how many things got published, how many things um, got paid for. Like um, it shows what you're waiting on, what uh, if somebody's requesting a full manuscript. It has everything that you could possibly need, um, and just nicely alphabetized, very clean system, free um, iOS app. Uh, I'm not sure if it's available for Android, but um, definitely for my iPhone, it works. Nice. Yeah, this is, I I'm, I don't write a lot for well, Macworld and Mac Stories and formerly Tua and my mm. blog. And like, those are all kind of, I have my in, I don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> I, I pitch a story and I write it. Um, exactly. But... For especially for marketing, my mm. independently developed applications, I really need a CRM and something equivalent to this because I just don't have the organizational skills. And you're right, my inbox becomes rapidly a mess. I got chewed out the other day for using a support ticket system instead of just allowing people to email me directly. Really? But that's asinine. The idea of because a it's a private conversation automatically right. no one can jump in or learn from it and be tracking responses to everyone oh it's so horrible so it, i explained ugh. that but it didn't go over well i lost a customer and i said <laughs> to myself not to him but i said <laughs> you know i really i don't need i don't need a customer who's this stubborn about um things that actually work exactly Oh my I, gosh, I can that's horrible. To let you go. <laughs> but, yeah. No, this looks cool though. Um you said it was free? Is mm-hmm. there in-app purchases or is it just nope, straight up? It's, it's just straight up free. What a nice guy, Andrew Nicole. <laughs> nice. I know, right? Very cool. No ads, no nothing. It's just it's just free. Wonderful. All right. Well, my first app uh pick is going to be an iOS app as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend, uh, he runs Squibner, same guy who wrote um, Blink for affiliate linking in iTunes, mm-hmm. uh, John Voorhees. He, um, oh, yeah. he just put out Associate, which makes affiliate links for Amazon. And if you write at all and you ever mention products... Affiliate links are brilliant because you get paid when people click them, but the people who click them don't have to pay anything. It doesn't cost the readers anything, but you can make some extra money. Um, And Associate makes it really easy if you're writing on iOS to quickly convert an Amazon link into an affiliate link or search for any product and copy like a markdown link right out of the app and paste it into whatever you're writing in. And it's it's simple, but it's complete. And why am I? Okay. Um, I I thought I had that muted. Um, <laughs> but it's simple, and it it's it's covers like all of the necessary share sheets and everything. And it's four ninety nine on the App Store, and totally worth it. You'll make that back if you uh, 
if you write publicly. This is, I'm looking at it right now and it looks wonderful. Same with, same with blank. Yeah. I might just get the bundle for $7.99 and call it a day. I I recommend it. I recommend them both. They, for anyone who's writing and you write quite a bit. So yes, I do (laughs) every day, whether I like it or not, it's (laughs) it's a compulsion. See, that's what, that was the, I wanted to get into that, the motivation to write as much as you do. And maybe we'll, we'll see how much time we have after the uh, top three picks, but. I know that I can't keep up with the schedule you keep as a writer. So (laughs) anyway, I'll let you go ahead and do your number two. Okay. My number two, and I just started with this, but it's saved my butt um, because of insurance issues. I bought insurance in New Hampshire. I live in Massachusetts. All I can get is emergency health care. Wow. I can't get any sort of like doctor visit or a therapist or a psychiatrist who That's lives in the state of Massachusetts. Horrible. Okay, so what yeah. saved your butt? Uh, Talkspace. It is an application um, for the iPhone, um, and it hooks you up with a therapist. You can either be billed. It doesn't go through your insurance. Um, you just pay for it as you want to, but it's not expensive. Um, you can pay for it monthly or you can pay for it just through the whole year. And they do an initial consultation for free where they talk about what brings you in, why you want to have therapy. Um, they take the time to set you up with a therapist that they think best matches your needs. And then they're there all the time for you forever. It's, um, it's text-based, but you can send pictures, you can send videos. Um, and... When you first sign up, they have a coupon code that's just automatic. So it would be $99 a month, which, I mean, if you break that down, a therapist weekly for a month, you're going to pay about $25 in co-pays anyway. Right. If you have traditional insurance. Um, And this is just right on your phone whenever you need it. Um, But the first month, I believe, is $74. When you first sign up and then from then on, it's the 99, then you can cancel whenever you want. So, and you've used this. I have. And you've had good results. I have. It's, I mean, the only thing that's an issue is just how how fast you can type, but uh, it's. It's probably not an issue for you. No. (laughs) Since that's what you do. Yes, yes. Big texter, big tweeter. I can I can type pretty fast. Um, but it's you don't have to schedule a time. You can send a message to your therapist whenever you need to. Um, it might take them a little bit to get back to you, depending on what they're doing. But it's a it's a twenty four seven support system. Um, even if your therapist isn't available, somebody is to help get you through. There's like an on call at all times, and it's all included just for that. Um, the app itself doesn't cost money. So if you go through the initial consultation, you find out that it's not for you or you don't want to go through that process, that's fine. But um, I would highly recommend it for anybody who is having trouble finding a therapist um, who maybe has issues with um, uh, anxiety uh, with leaving the house or or straight up agoraphobia. Um, This is a really good solution for that. That is, that's kind of amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, The, the overall reviews, 70 ratings for the current version. Well, let's say 681 ratings in total at three and a half stars. And it looks like there's this sharp divide between people who are amazed and give it five stars and people who are quite upset and leave one star reviews. But the, uh, the five stars seem to outnumber it. I, I guess because it's kind of a uh, therapy is a very personal yes. thing and very important to a lot of people. I, I guess th- I usually don't even bother checking ratings, but that's interesting. It also appears to be available in like 20 different languages, mm-hmm. which would be great. I, I just would assume that something like this would be primarily English. No, it's um, it's very... Where do they get these therapists? Inclusive. I don't know. Um, I think that they sign up um, to do it 
just kind of as a side gig because a lot of a lot of therapists will not take insurance and just do private billing because they don't want to deal with insurance companies, especially if they're working uh, solo and not part of the practice. So I think that if they want to do that sort of thing, then this kind of goes with that entire mindset. Like you can have clients um, that work with you that don't necessarily have to come to your office. Um, and it it well, seems to really work for, for them. Um, they seem very enthusiastic. Sure. About it, it seems like you could actually just not have an office. If you were a licensed therapist, you could, you know, be in middle of Wisconsin and take clients from all over the world. Exactly. That's exactly. I, I can see the appeal of that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's very cool. You have good picks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so my second pick is um, I've long been a fan and mentioned multiple times on this podcast, the uh, sleep phones, which are kind of like fabric headband headphones that you can sleep in very comfortably. Ooh. Uh, and they came out a little while ago with a Bluetooth version because when you fall asleep wearing headphones, cables wrapping around your neck, are, it's not great. Uh, so no. <laughs> I was very interested in the Bluetooth version, but it cost a hundred bucks. And what I had was kind of working, so I couldn't justify spending a hundred dollars to upgrade something that hadn't broken yet. Right. Um, so I did some searching, and I found an alternative called the Sound Asleep Sleep Headphones, and um, it actually has a mic too. But um, they are a full eye mask, memory foam eye mask, with low profile. Uh, speakers around the ears and then it's bluetooth and there are fast forward volume and play pause controls like on your right ear you can just like hit you you can feel them in the dark and just hit what you need to and they're not as flat as the sleep phones are but because it's kind of like wesley crusher style eyepiece Mm -hmm. it gives you enough support that you can comfortably I've fallen asleep in them for four nights in a row now. Um, has not been an issue. So they are, they're comfortable and they're great at blocking light and you can use them for, uh, if you, I started doing um, uh, sound wave and binaural beat meditations. I love those. Yeah, me too. <laughs> they're pretty amazing. And this is great for that. Um, yeah. And they're only $37. Nice. Yeah. So I'll put that link in there, but I'll put it in as an affiliate link using associate. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, and I guess my last one, I'm, I'm going all apps. Um, it's new and I want more people to join me on it. It's called Litsy. L I T S Y. And it's basically, a simpler version of Goodreads. And so you, you create your your profile. It's really simple. You say what you're reading. You can post quotes, blurbs, um, reviews of, of books that you're reading, put in your to-read list, your completed. Um, but you follow, it has a like a timeline feature like Twitter. So you can follow who you want to, um, anywhere, anybody from, you know, uh, penguin books or, uh, any authors that happen to sign up for it. Um, and it's a great way to kind of look at what other people are reading and get recommendations for books, uh, through this kind of organic, um, process of sharing just out of appreciation for what you're reading and, and it tracks what you've read Um, you can add pictures, you can add, um, you can say if something has a spoiler, but the, the best part is the rating system. Instead of giving stars, you can just say like, thumbs up. I liked it. (laughs) Or like, so, so, or thumbs down. I didn't like it. Or I abandoned it. Um, I would think abandoned would be more common than didn't like. Why would you finish a book you didn't like? Unless maybe it was the ending that ruined it for you. 
that could be. I don't know. I'm very <laughs> completist with things. So even if I don't like something, I'm just like, all right, we're going to muscle unless it's just really bad from the beginning and can't hold my attention. That takes motivation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm impressed. <laughs> well, I mean, I figure if you're going to write then even the worst books or the books that you don't like very much will have something to teach you about what not to do. Um, so I try to finish what I start. I don't always follow through on that end, but um, it's a it's a great little app. It's also free. Um, I am I am loving this. Uh, I I have been reading a lot for the last year. I took 10 years and didn't read anything, but for the last year, but Goodreads always seems so, um, the community seems so much better at reading than me. I was too intimidated <laughs> to actually take part in it. Right. This actually looks, um, bite size enough that I could feel very comfortable learning from other people and enjoying recommendations. Plus the reading list organization, our local bookstore went out of business just last month. <gasps> no. Yeah. Uh, but he he's basically sold off the whole store and I had a store account. Mm. So I walked away with a ton of books and galley copies. Um nice. <laughs> stuff that nobody else has yet. So um yeah, I need to organize and prioritize my reading list and having some recommendations would be combined with an organization system. I'm this is this is being installed on my phone today. Beautiful. You'll have to let me know what your your little handle is so that I can follow you. Because like I said, there's not a lot of people on it yet. And I keep tweeting about it and saying like, hey, everyone, this is better than Goodreads. Get on it. Um, <laughs> I, I can tell you right now, it'll be TT Scoff. Well, yes, obviously. I'm very consistent. I should have guessed. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. So my last pick is a movie. And mm. I just saw it two nights ago. And it was so beautiful from the beginning. Like I knew from the first 10 minutes I was going to love this movie. And then it ended and I immediately wanted to watch it again. And it's called Welcome to Happiness. And me either. I hadn't, it showed up on iTunes. So I, I watched the preview and it's like, yep, that's the movie we're watching tonight. And we loved it. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of, um, trippy uh kind of it reminded me of aesthetically and and kind of plot wise reminded me of that uh being john malkovich movie. oh sold <laughs> but but yeah it, there's a a guy and he has a a closet with a very small door in it and people he doesn't know show up at his door and they have you know major problems their life is in and tatters and he asks them three questions and then they sit in a room and he closes the door to the closet and then a light the door opens the small door opens and he doesn't know what happens and so the movie is about finding out how he got this apartment what what's on the other side of the door and then the general theme is about interconnectedness which is i'm not religious i'm not even spiritual but the theme was really it was fun uh, just to see the uh, spider web of interconnectedness of all events, even tragic ones. That's fantastic. I'm literally, I'm sitting here with my mouth agape like, yes. <laughs> well, in yes. this director, <laughs> Oliver Thompson, who I think is also a musician, unless it's a different person, but this is his only credit. Like, oh, I, really? There's, there's, he doesn't have anything previous to say, yeah, this is, you know, better or worse than this is it. And I hope he does more because... From everything from scoring, like the soundtrack is amazing. It's a very music-heavy movie. The film shots are, they're not the shots that distract you because you want to analyze all the lighting and the framing. They're ones that you know are brilliant, but they don't distract from the movie. The lighting, the color, they're so so intentional. And there's it's like Fight Club where there's all these little things that you maybe notice in the background but don't mean anything until later in the movie. And then you want to go back and like see that whole wall mural again, because it had coded signs all the way through it. And yeah, I recommend it highly. I will tell you that um, according to IMDb, he has 
a another project in the works um, called Somewhere Below My Skin, um, which is a thriller. It says, William is the projectionist at a rundown movie theater who's obsessed with movies and his imaginary career as a director. He is also a serial killer, choosing his victims from his bird's eye view behind the projector. Sheriff Delane is hot on the trail when his own daughter is taken next. Did you ever see the movie Peeping Tom came out the same year as the original Psycho? I didn't. Oh, it, 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 this reminds me of that. It's a guy, he's a, a filmmaker who selects his victims from behind the camera and his camera, the tripod, uh, mm-hmm. one of the legs becomes a sword and the flash or the like light on the camera becomes a mirror and he films Ooh. people as they watch themselves die. And it is way scarier than Psycho. Oh my God, that's so creepy and wonderful. So if you like serial killer thriller horror movies, that is. Yes. But yeah, I will definitely be watching anything that Oliver Thompson does from this point on. All right. All right. So we do. If you have a minute. Of course. We will jump back to writing the motivation to sit down and write every day. Mm-hmm. Does this is this something you have to exercise and yoga and meditate to do, or are you capable of saying this is it's time to write and then just writing? Um, yeah, it's it's pretty much a part of my day. I wake up, I I do around a bit with uh, online games and Twitter and all of my notifications and email and stuff, and get that out of the way. Uh, take my meds. Um, Travel over to my office, sit down, and start writing. So are you medicated for ADHD? I am not. That is one of the roughest things at the moment. Um, So it it does take me longer to write than I would like, and it takes me longer to write than I know I need to to take. Um, Like if I were to, say, have an Adderall prescription – um, I could focus more and get more done in the course of a day, but um, I can average about at least one piece per day. And um, how long does a piece take you? Depending on the piece. Uh, yesterday, I was working on a piece about famous agoraphobes in throughout history. Um, that's a research-intensive Sure. Project. Uh, same with a piece I wrote about uh, the women characters in Titanic, which meant I had to watch all of Titanic and take notes. Um, <laughs> things like that will take me a large number of hours. Um, if I'm writing just sort of a personal essay piece about something that happened to me, you know, an hour to something like that um, to allow for, you know, breaks in concentration, uh, which would be silly little games or keeping up with my Twitter or reading other things or answering email, which I know I shouldn't do. Well, yeah, but don't you find that those breaks help you? They do. I can't, um, <laughs> like you get I can't to a just point. Sit. With, yeah. With ADHD, you get to a point where you're just starting, you're staring at the keyboard. Yes. And your brain has moved on. Exactly. And just switching tracks and then switching back, if I'm able to switch back, is beneficial. Right. It's that, that's always the question for me. Since since they took away my stimulants, mm-hmm. I, yeah, like one to two hours is about the most I can hope for in a day. And mm-hmm. I can't be like, okay, it's 10 a.m. I finished playing my iPhone games and drinking coffee. It's time to work. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. I know. It's awful. I can't watch movies for that reason. Like, I have to pause them a million times and, like, get up and walk around. Or, That's why like, I don't go to the theater much. Yeah, <laughs> I need I that can't. pause button. <laughs> I'm just, like, I'll, my feet will end up tapping. Like, yep. That's why I took up knitting for a while to keep my hands busy, but... Oh, that's brilliant. But... Because I keep my hands busy with an iPhone, which is completely yes, distracting. Exactly. <laughs> That's that's what I do. I mean, I'm lucky that uh, my partner has ADHD as well. So it's not he understands that when I'm like doofing around with something, it's not because I'm not listening. Right. It's just because I have to fidget with something. Yep. Um, there was a but, but I interrupted you. But I can marathon um, 
TV shows. TV shows are easily. designed for ADHD. Yes. Commercial breaks are perfect. Yeah. I watched about six episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in a row yesterday because it's like 45 minutes of plot, move on. 45 minutes of new plot, move on. And while you're doing that, you can be doing other things. It helps that I've also seen all of Buffy, but, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Um, but yeah, it it does. It it really varies on uh, on what I'm working on at the time, how long it's going to take me. Um, I just know what I need to budget in terms of energy and um, also when I need to walk away um, or do something else. I keep right on my left hand side as kind of a wingman. I have one of those adult coloring books and colored pencils, which if I feel myself getting too anxious about deadlines or word choice or not knowing where a piece is going, I'm like, okay, we're going to work on this mandala for a while. And uh, when my inner child has been satiated, we will come back to the text. I Uh, have not done that, but I can appreciate the concept. Oh my God. It was, I thought that it was crap for (laughs) so long. I was like, really? I've never thought that. I just haven't done it. It, um, when I was in the hospital, there's not a lot to do, um, unless you have somebody to bring you stuff. But like, I didn't really want to sit around and read books, but they would print out coloring pages for us and give us, uh, colored pencils or markers or whatever. And it was kind of like the social thing to do. Everybody would sit around and color something and just kind of just chat about, you know, whatever, like whatever brought them in, um, how they were doing, all this stuff. Uh, I think one day we spent like six hours just sitting and coloring and it kept my mind occupied. It was very soothing. Um, I think that was on my first full day um, when I didn't know the rhythm of anything or how it was really going to be. And I was like, all right, this is going to be all right. And then right after I got out, I went down to uh, Brookline Booksmith, which I highly recommend. It's an independent bookstore in Brookline um, where they have a wide assortment of coloring books. Got myself a big fat one and a whole bunch of colored pencils. And I I keep it with me wherever I go just in case I need a break to uh, – just kind of de-stress, and um, I give them to my mom as presents. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's like, see, I'm not doing so terrible, mom. I can create beautiful things. <laughs> no, that it, it makes a lot of sense to me. I could do yeah. that. Yep, it's it's great for ADHD. It's it's a good thing that you can do um, while you're watching TV or something like that where you're supposed to be focusing. You can also <laughs> color instead of fidgeting with a phone. Yeah, fidgeting with a phone is... I, I miss so much stuff because... I do that. My favorite thing, by the way, is Netflix shows that release entire seasons all at once. Yes. Like, especially when they're really good, like Love uh, on Netflix. I haven't watched that yet. I'm dying to, but I I have so much to watch. (laughs) Well, I know how it is, but like, I love just being able to, it's, it's like watching a really long movie, but with all the commercial breaks I need to fidget and walk and. Yeah. Do you, it's, a, it's like a Pomodoro timer for watching TV. That is the perfect way to describe <laughs> it. <laughs> it just came to me. I may use that. So is there a place where all of this writing you've done, both on uh, mental health and all of your other projects, uh, is there like a central repository where these can be found? Yes. Um, I have a website. It is lizlazara.com, L-I-Z. L-A-Z-Z-A-R-A dot com. Um, that has all of my writing. It has um, the podcast that I used to do for about a year. It has that on it. Um, anything that I get mentioned in or, you know, podcasts that I guest on, they're all there, um, as well as ways to contact me, um, any testimonials, pretty much anything that I do. It has a link to my YouTube channel, uh, which I just started. Um, so yeah, if you, if you're interested in, in reading anything I've written, listening to anything I've ever said, or, um, seeing what other people have said about me, that's where you should go. Excellent. That's perfect. And you're also Liz Lazara on Twitter. Yes, I am. 
And I do, every time I do an episode like this, I get emails, thank you emails, uh, from people who say that they have the same issues, and there are a lot of them. My show either attracts them or they're just that common in society, people who share my uh, mental issues. Um, but I get thank you notes saying, you know, you, you're, you're talking about things that I can't talk about. And I think a lot of those people are probably about to go to lizlazara.com. <laughs> and I would also say you should start another podcast because you have an amazing voice. Oh, thank or you. Or you should become a voiceover artist. <laughs> there we go. I'll just, I'll start doing that um, <laughs> somehow. I'm pretty sure that there's a market for that in Boston. No, I've been, I've been wanting to get back into podcasting for quite some time. I just haven't figured out um, what exactly my topic would be. I don't think I would want to go back to the same topic as getting there, but um, I, I am, it's, it's percolating. I, uh, it'll it'll surface one day and then and then I'll I'll return to the realm of the microphone. I'm really into the idea of single serving podcast like serial where mm. it's like about one thing and it progresses and you know there are like 12 episodes. So it's basically like a TV series. Right. I want to start doing more of those. I have one in the works, but Ooh. Yeah. One with a rabbi. Uh Very a, nice. an atheist and a rabbi eating the apple. Is the working title. That sounds fantastic. And I'm going to be listening to that. <laughs> it's been fun. Um, but I am, uh, I'm TT Scoff on Twitter. You can find my stuff at brettterpster.com with three T's in the middle. It's very difficult. Um, <laughs> and uh, TT Scoff everywhere else. And thank you so much, Liz, for being here. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And we'll see everybody in a couple weeks. Bye.